0: Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill each of the spaces where we are seated today. And fill each one of us to overflowing. And Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So uh, recently I started a new discipline. I, uh, uh, after I walk my son, Bo to school, uh, I take a rather convoluted route home, uh, going down random streets throughout the neighborhoods near my house. I go throughout North Central and West Side and Hampton Park Terrace and Wagner Terrace and... Elliott Borough and Cannonboro and Radcliffe Borough, and I walk past all kinds of houses and businesses and schools and churches, and I walk past all sorts of people doing all sorts of different things, Um, some working, some walking their dog, some exercising, some waiting in line for coffee, some scratching uh, lottery tickets, some who notice me and say hello, some who aren't noticing anything or anyone, and just walk on by. And I'm on a prayer walk. That's what I'm doing. I'm, and I start each of these walks asking God two things. One, to lead me where He wants me to go. And secondly, to give me eyes to see what He sees. You see, I've been down most of these streets before. I'm usually driving, but I was distracted or I simply was just focused on my destination. And so I didn't really see anything or anyone on these streets unless they got in my way. I certainly didn't see things as God sees them. And so my desire to do these prayer walks came from a desire to uh, have God's heart for the heart Of our city. You know, we've talked about it for years around here about wanting the cathedral to be the heart of God for the heart of Charleston. And so I realized that I needed to get out there. I needed to walk amongst the people in their various neighborhoods in order to have a heart for them. Because as the old phrase goes, birds of a feather flock together. The natural thing is to flock with your own birds of a feather. And ignore all the other flocks, or worse, resent the other flocks. But we talked about it last week uh, when looking at, in Acts 2. Uh, Luke records, verse 47 of Acts 2, that Christians in the early church had favor with all the people. But we, And all those people in Jerusalem... Yeah, there were birds with all sorts of feathers there, right? Acts 2 verses 9 to 11 records it. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And man, After you um, do some walks around our streets here in Charleston, you see that we have all sorts of birds with all sorts of feathers. We have longtime residents and transient students, hipsters, hippies, residents of juice bars, residents of good old-fashioned bars, connoisseurs of micro-brews, connoisseurs of PBR, rich folks, poor folks, black folks, white folks, young folks, old folks golf cart drivers, grocery cart pushers, and visitors from Rome, or in our case, New York City. And I dare say that whatever neighborhood you might walk through, uh, in other parts of our city or other cities elsewhere in the nation or, or world, you'd find a different mix of birds, but you would find a mix nonetheless And so I take these walks out amongst all these people and I can honestly say that the prayer that I would see what God sees is answered each and every time. It really is. I guess the best way I can describe it is that God gives me the eyes of His heart and lets me see through them. And I've therefore developed a profound love for and a burden for All these different people. Those seen on the street and those unseen behind the doors of all the buildings I walk past. But the other thing I've developed as I make these prayer walks is an overwhelming sense of inadequacy. I have inadequacy for this task of loving and and more importantly caring for Such a varied and complicated mix of people. How in the world can I, could I, or this church of which I'm a part, ever reach, ever touch them? How can I be winsome to such a heterogeneous uh, group with such heterogeneous needs and and values and priorities and perspectives? Because that's the aim, right? It's to, to be winsome. That is to win them, and by winning them, to see them saved. How do I do that? How do we do that? Well, if you want to find a community with every bit as much or more bird-feather diversity as the neighborhoods around the cathedral, Uh, you need look no further than the community of Corinth to whom Paul is writing in our epistle lesson for this morning. So if you would like to open up your pew Bibles if you're here in the church or if you want to open up your Bible there at home uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 16 to 23. That's 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 23. That's where we'll be spending our time today. So Corinth, it was uh, an important uh, trade center in the Roman Empire. It, uh, it's located on an isthmus, uh, and that is a, a strip of land between the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. And and it was an important trading center because uh, ships traveling from Asia to Europe or from Europe to Asia would go through this area. They would pass through this little narrow bit of land and they would carry the boats across the little bit of land from one body of water to the other. And so it was a nexus of different cultures and philosophies and languages and religions. And it was a place with great uh, wealth generation as well. And as a result, of course, with that came the requisite wealth gaps. And so Paul was writing to a group of Christians that needed counsel and sometimes rebuke on how to be winsome in a really challenging place at a really challenging time. Sound familiar? And his message to them about how to be truly winsome was to remember their freedom in the gospel. He wants the members of the the Corinthian church and all other readers henceforth uh, to remember that faith in Christ and his atoning death upon the cross for the forgiveness of sins brings to the believer eternal life in the kingdom of God. And with this inheritance comes freedom. One receives all the riches of heaven and the greatest riches of heaven are the freedom that we are given in the kingdom. And it is this freedom in the gospel that should make the Christian church winsome. But of course, for this to be so, we need to specify what we mean by freedom because there's all kinds of understandings of that word, right? But before we do that, let me ask you this. What do you think? If we were to take a survey of a cross-section of people Um, living in and around the Charleston metro area, and ask them, what are the least attractive traits about Christians? What do you think we'd hear? In other words, if Christians are not perceived as winsome, what is the reason for that? Don't you think what we would hear would be something about Christians being hypocritical or harshly legalistic, Uh, judgmental to the point of condemnation, something like that. And whether it's fair or not is another thing, but that does seem to be the perception, doesn't it? What often turns people off to Christianity, or at least what people outside the church tell us, is the perception that Christians have a, a superiority complex, That translates into an outsider, insider, uh, uh, us, them, informed, ignorant, righteous, sinful kind of oppositional posture. And so what happens is there's a whole lot of telling and not much listening or observing that goes on, and what people are actually saying is that there's not much loving going on, and that's not so winsome. And so Paul wants his readers to understand their freedom as those saved by Christ. There is, as the redeemed of the Lord, a real freedom from everything in this world the corruptions, the, the pressures, the temptations, the fears. But with that freedom from everything comes the call and the capacity to be a slave to everyone. Freedom from everything and thus a slave to everyone. Bishop N.T. Wright in his commentary on 1 Corinthians puts it this way, Freedom is important, but in Christian terms, it is never the freedom uh, of a subatomic particle to whiz around in all directions in apparently random fashion. It is always freedom for. Freedom for the Messiah, for God's people, for those who need the gospel. Paul uses himself as the, the classic example of moving from being captive and supercilious to being free and winsome. Think of this story of, of, of this man, you know? Right before his conversion, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, was all about his identity. Uh, of being a Pharisee. You know, if you read just uh, those verses uh, 4 and following of chapter 3 of Philippians, he describes all of his credentialing. He regarded himself and, and probably had a reputation for being the Hebrew of Hebrews. And as such, he felt he had the right and indeed the obligation to let those who weren't fitting the mold know it. And furthermore, to eradicate anything or anyone who didn't conform. He didn't have any relationships with Christians, really. They were simply outsiders who are wrong and need to be silenced. He only had contempt for them. But then this Saul, who strutted around like he was a king himself, became Paul. A name that means small. After his conversion, he becomes small. Paul knows that by virtue of the gospel, the saving grace of of Jesus Christ that came to him, even him, as a result of that, scales fell from his eyes and he saw That he had gone from being a very particular thing in the world, holding nothing of real worth, to being nothing in the world, but holding the only thing of real worth. And when you're nothing in the world, but have everything in the gospel, then you're free. You're free. And as we read these verses in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, what we see is that means you're free, free from self interest, and so you're free to give freely. And you're free from being self conscious, and so you're free to be all things to all people. You see, if, if you're always focused on self interest and are all self conscious, well, you're you're not going to be the least bit winsome. But that's exactly what Paul sees in the Corinthian church. He sees people who are all about their identity in this world and what they are entitled to because of their identity. And so the first thing Paul wants to be clear out of this is is to clear out this idea of self-interest. He does this first by recognizing that the gospel really does give one all he or she could ever need. It is the one thing of infinite value. It has given new life and it has given salvation. And so, even though it might be reasonable for Paul to expect something in return for having given the gospel to the Corinthians, which he, he argues in the first part of this chapter, he knows he didn't earn the gospel. It's given to him by grace, so he shouldn't think in terms of the gospel ministry earning him some kind of payment or reward. He knows there is no boasting of his own, but only boasting in the gospel. God has done the work for Paul without requiring payment from Paul. And so Paul now can likewise give the gospel to others without requiring payment. His reward is the freedom of knowing he can give the gospel freely. There must be no self-interest involved. There need not be any self-interest involved. And therefore you remove that obstacle. Verse 16, For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. And then verses 17 and 18, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He's free to give freely. No strings attached. No bait and switch. And that's winsome. You know, Because people can pick up on self-interest a mile away, can't they? They sniff it out and they don't want anything to do with it probably in part because they've got their own self-interests in mind, right? And I'm not just talking about um, those who would use ministry to somehow fill their pockets. To be honest, there's not a lot of us that actually do that. I mean, there's a handful of megachurch-type folks that maybe can do that, but most of us can't. But there are plenty of folks who want to make sure you know that they're right and you're wrong and who want to avoid any kind of awkward conversation in order not to have their views be challenged. Um, and so self-interest can cause the kind of distasteful, holier-than-thou uh, behaviors that we are accustomed to seeing, right? And, and it can cause one to stick to his or her own birds uh, and not venture toward any other birds of any other feather, And we become this sort of little holy huddle. The truth is, one will become very self conscious about his or her Christian feathers. Yeah? Got to preserve this. Somehow, this could get uh, ruffled if I'm not careful. But Paul shows that once the self interest is cleared out by the gospel, you don't have to be self conscious, you can be secure and venture into any context amongst any people at any time. Saul of Tarsus was full of rage and zeal against those others. He wanted to get rid of anyone who wasn't like him. He was so self-conscious about being the proper Hebrew, right? That he was going to eradicate anyone who might threaten that anyone who might change up the environment such that he couldn't be that the way he wanted to be that. His zeal was for himself and his own image much more than it was for Judaism. His self-conscious nature caused him to hate and persecute rather than to love and share. And so now, Paul, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, he is this man who has recognized his own frailty, his smallness, and yet the fullness of what he has in the gospel. He's not full of himself. He's full of the Spirit of the living God. He's going to be then whatever the person in front of him needs him to be for the sake of the gospel. His only interest now is in sharing the blessings of the gospel with whomever is in front of him. He's free to be all things For all people, all for the sake of the gospel. He's free from everything. And so he's a slave to everyone. All to be winsome. Verses 20 to 22, he writes, winning the Jew, winning those under the law, winning those outside the law, win the weak, he says. I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. And then in verse 23, he says, I do it all. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Could there be a more winsome thing to say than that? There's no self-interest when you talk about sharing with. There's no self-conscious insecurity when you talk about sharing with. There's no insider, outsider, us, them, informed, ignorant, righteous, sinful kind of oppositional posture when you talk about sharing with. You know that God has shared with you. Now you are to share with all those around you. The blessings of the gospel are for us all to share so I'm back on my prayer walk amongst the wide variety of people around here. And you know that feeling of inadequacy that I was talking about? Still there. Still there. But what Paul is telling me here is that it's actually it's actually that inadequacy that should be embraced. I am a Paul. I am small. Our church is, when compared to the needs, we're small. But the gospel lifts your inadequacy by confirming (laughs) your inadequacy. Yes, you're inadequate. I'm inadequate. But the blessings of the gospel are yours. And mine. You're free from everything in this world, so no self-interest or self-consciousness is needed. You now can be a slave to everyone. You can share the blessings of the gospel. Paul puts it like this in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, That I might win more of them. That sounds pretty winsome. Shall we go and win as many as we can in order that some might be saved? Here's an application. Maybe wherever you live. Start a habit, you know. um, I was told about a book called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear where he says, take a, a habit that you already have and stack something on top of it. So mine was walking my son to school and so I stacked on this prayer walk to that. Find whatever thing might remind you to take that walk and walk amongst the people near you. See their diversity and remember your freedom in the gospel. Amen.